Um, at Kingfisher Church, we have a statement of faith and nine, nine sections which summarise what we believe and the Bible says about the most important things. And once a month we're looking at this. Uh, we started last month with the first bit which talks about what the Bible says about God. Uh, this time we're looking at what the Bible says about the Bible. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this. It says, all scripture, all the 66 books of the Bible is God-breathed. The Bible is God's word. And as a church we believe that's true. And we summarise what the Bible teaches about the Bible in this statement, which says, God has revealed himself in the Bible, which consists of the Old and New Testaments alone. Every word was inspired by God through human authors. So the Bible, as originally given, is in its entirety the word of God, without error, and fully reliable in fact and doctrine. The Bible alone speaks with final authority, and is always sufficient for all matters of belief and practice. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. And not all of it, and we're going to use one passage of the Bible to help us to do that. We're going to look at Isaiah 55, and I'm going to read that for us. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to it. If you haven't got a Bible, there are some at the back, um, so you can follow along. Um, but Isaiah was a prophet, he lived in Jerusalem about 700 BC, um, and Isaiah 55 is speaking into a situation when, when the city of Jerusalem has been overthrown, the people of Jerusalem have been torn away from their homes, and God speaks to this disorientated people with a message that resonates for everyone. So this is what it says. This is Isaiah 55. <coughs> come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I make him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendour. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thornbush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. <coughs> passage is a massive invitation. 
You hear that? It says, come, come on, come, it says, come. Uh, the invitation grows as the passage develops. And the heart of the invitation is this. The heart of the invitation is that God wants you to be happy. That's the heart of the invitation. The, the face of God as he speaks these words is, is a beaming face, a delighted face. God wants you to be happy. And the bit that's a bit harder to accept is that he knows what you need to be happy better than you do. Now what's this invitation for? This invitation is where God invites to come all you who are thirsty. God is inviting those who have a need. And what does a thirsty person need? Does a thirsty person need a hug or a bed? They need a drink, don't they? That's right. And that's what they need. Water. So come to the waters, it says. Come and get what you need. And then it says, you have no money. An invitation to those who can't provide for what they need. It says, come, buy and eat. And verse 3 says, you will delight in the richest of fare. You will come to a great feast that is a lovely feast, a lavish feast, a great feast. But what does it mean? What's the meaning of the picture? I think God is saying, God invites to a future. Come to a future. Verse 12 says, you will go out in joy. Where are they going to go out from? You remember I said this was first written to people who have been taken away from their homes and their prisoners in exile? This is an invitation to go home. To go home, it says, in joy and in peace. And, and then as they travel home, it gets really weird. Did you hear the weird bit in the passage? It says, as they, they come out, you're going to go out, and as they're going home, it says, the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Imagine that. Strange, isn't it? Saying, so as they come home, creation is going to start celebrating. And why would it do that? Well, verse 13 says this. Verse 13 says, instead of the thorn bush, will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. See, what, what, this, what this is doing is taking us right back to the, to the beginning when the world was broken. We're right back to the beginning when, when the goodness of creation got unpicked and got undone and it was put under a curse. And, and the curse on creation was signified by the outbreak of thorns and thistles. But then comes this invitation that the reason creation celebrates is because that curse is being pushed back. Now the weight of this picture is too much for us to bear. It's too good for us to bear. It's an invitation to go home in joy and peace, to go to a home like they can never have dreamed. Now, right in the beginning the world was good. In the beginning there was life and there was fullness. But the people who heard Isaiah 55, they couldn't see the world like that. They could see the world was bad. But they could see sadness. They can see hopelessness. I guess they can see a world like the world that we see. But then God speaks into that, breaks in with his invitation. Verse 2, he says, eat what is good. The goodness of the beginning. The, the goodness of the beginning that has been so long lost, it felt like a dream. He says, you can eat again of the goodness. Verse 3, that, that you may live. Literally, that your soul may live, that there will be soul life, deep, abiding, lasting life in goodness. 
Now, right back in the beginning, what went wrong is that people ran away from God. And we've been running from God ever since. And we were made to be with God. We can't have a life or, or happiness that lasts when we're away from God. And this invitation comes in Isaiah 55, an invitation to come back. Verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. God, God is drawing near to invite people, to invite all people to come to this feast. To invite all people to come to an indescribably wonderful future. To invite people to come to him. And that's why creation sings. Creation that has been bound by that curse. And there's change and decay in all around I see. But this promise, this invitation, this future, is the curse turned back. The world being put right and abundant goodness being the theme of life. And just go on and on and on, never stopping. Verse 13 says this turning back of the curse will be an everlasting sign that will endure forever. God invites to a feast, he invites to a future. And it's free. It's free. This top quality feast, you don't have to pay, it says. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Do you hear the gladness of God in this invitation? Say, come on, come and be happy. And you can't afford it, that's fine, but worry, come. You can't imagine how good it would be, that's okay. Come and try. Come on, come and see. Now how can it be free? Well, in verse 3, God says that he will do it through his faithful love promised to David. And that faithful love is the promise that one of King David's descendants would be the forever king. And verse 5 says that that forever king will draw to himself people from all the nations. And we know his name is Jesus. Verse 2 says, Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labour on what does not satisfy. That's the invitation goes to people who are spending and they're, they're working, but it's not going to bring them life, it's not going to bring them happiness. Don't we see that everywhere around us? In ourselves and in others? Don't we want to sometimes scream at ourselves and scream at those around us? What are you doing it for? What's all that effort for? What's it going to bring you at the end? When it's all ended, all that worry, all that struggle, all that striving and straining, where does it lead to? Why spend money on what's not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. You see, this invitation comes to people whose hands are free. They're burdened with a huge box of stuff trying to, trying to strive and build it all for themselves. People who are holding on to things that are going to harm them. It's not going to make them happy. It's just going to wear them down. And to take hold of the feast, you've got to let go of that. Let the wicked forsake their ways. Let them forsake their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. Verse 7 is saying, let go of those things. Let go of trying to live apart from God. So you can take hold of what he freely gives you. And God wants us to be happy. God knows what we need to be happy better than we do. But we keep doing the things he tells us not to. But we think we know better. We fear maybe losing control. But unless we, get, we let go of that 
illusion of self-sufficiency and independence. We can't receive what God wants to give. When you let go, God will forgive. And he'll forgive because of Jesus. Just a couple of chapters earlier in Isaiah, he looked ahead to what Jesus would do when he came. He said, well, when Jesus comes, he will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He will bear the sin of many. Jesus would come and die for our sins so that we could be fully forgiven. He would come and he would pay himself the price of, of creation's curse so the curse could be turned back. And then he would rise again to be the king who rules forever and ever. So God invites all people to come. To come just as we are. To come, not to stay as we are, but to come as we are. He invites us to come to the fullness of happiness. To come to life that is forever and ever and it costs us nothing. Because the cost was paid by Jesus. Jesus who says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus who says, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus who says, come to me. He is strong and he is kind. And we're going to sing as we remember the great invitation of our Lord Jesus to come. To come to him to take rest. To come to him to find forgiveness. To remember his great mercies. Thank you very much, Tash. Isaiah 55 is a great big invitation to come. Come to the Lord God. Uh, come and find everything we need in Him. Um, before we think a little bit more about that, we're going to sing again about the great invitation that He gives to us uh, to come to find rest in His everlasting arms. <laughs> Everlasting arms. Come, says Isaiah 55. God says, come. It's a great invitation. God wants you to come. He wants you to come to a feast and to a future. And it's free. Freely. We can come. The price is paid so you can come. That's the invitation. God wants you to be happy. And he knows what we need to be happy better than we do. So we are to come. But, but how do we do that? How do we come? Well, this is what this passage says in verse 2. God who says, come... He also says, listen. Verse 2, he says, listen, listen to me. Verse 3, he says, give ear to me and come. Listen that you may live. And we come to God by listening to him. And God says, listen, because God is speaking. If somebody refuses to speak to you, you can't get to know them, can you? If you meet someone new and you want to get to know them or... Uh, maybe someone new comes to your school and your teacher says, you have to go and get to know them. And so you go and say, what's your name? They don't say anything. Or, what do you like to do? They don't say anything. If they don't speak, you can't get to know them. But God says, listen, because he speaks. He speaks because he wants you to know him. And, and he explains why it's so important to listen to him. You see in verse 8, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you think that an ant can know what your favourite food is? Do you, do you think an ant even knows whether you exist? I don't know the answer to that. It might do, it might not, but it's... It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Because we're so much bigger than an ant. We're so much more complicated than an ant. How can an ant know anything about us? 
But the difference between you and an ant is nothing compared to the difference between you and God. A God is greater than the greatest we can imagine. He is beyond all the world. So how can we know anything about God? The only way we can know is if God is great enough to make himself known. So what he says, so a very visual reminder outside in verse 10, as the rain and snow come down from heaven, we felt that this morning, haven't we? Some people are still damp as they sit here this morning, aren't we, Danny? Still wet from the rain coming down from heaven, pouring down. And verse 10 says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. We get that, don't we? We've had a really, really dry summer. It's looked like this most places, hasn't it? It's been so dry. Everything's gone dead and yellow. And then the rain came. When the rain came, the greenness blossomed, didn't it? That the rain comes down so things can grow. It comes down from the skies and it brings life up. God says, think about that when you think about the rain. Because he says in verse 11, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The Bible is God's word. It's God breathed. It goes out from his mouth. And we need it. We need God's word because we couldn't make it up. God's ways, his thoughts, they're so far beyond us. We couldn't figure out what the world was about. Couldn't work out what we needed. We couldn't find lasting joy and peace unless he tells us. We need it because we couldn't make it up. We need it because we couldn't make it any good. God wants us to know that his word, the Bible, doesn't just bring information. It brings transformation. Like the rain coming down brings transformation. It brings life. Right in the beginning, God said... And it was. He said, let there be light. What was he speaking to? What he, what he spoke created what he was speaking to. That's what God's word does. Now, we see it when God in the flesh walked on the earth. And Jesus said to a leper, his word, be clean. And the leper was clean. He said to the sea, be still. And it was still. He said to deaf ears, be opened. And they were. He said to the lame, get up, and he did. He said to a little dead girl, get up, and his words brought life. And she was raised from the dead, because God's word creates what he speaks. Like rain coming down and bringing life. And God's word creates reality, it does what he wants. See, the goodness of this invitation in Isaiah 55, it is too much for us to bear. That you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. That you go to a, a new home where, where, where creation has been renewed, has been freed from decay and ruin. And you'll have your sins forgiven and your soul will be satisfied with abundant goodness forever and ever. We can't do any of that for ourselves. But God's word creates the reality he desires. God wants you to be happy. And he knows what you need to be happy better than you do. And he's spoken his life-giving, transforming word to create that goodness for you. That's why at Kingfisher Church we put the Bible at the heart of everything we do. Because we want to hear what God says. We want to hear God speak. And we believe all the Bible is what God speaks. And God says, come. Come. And how do we do it? We listen to what he says in his word, the Bible. It's hard to listen. The competition at the start, it's hard, isn't it, not to run off with what we think it's saying. It's a bit of a silly thing, really, but the challenge for us 
is that when God speaks, how will we listen? And so easily we think we know best. But if we turn to what God says, if we turn what God says into what we think he says, what we might like him to say, we're not listening. If when we read the Bible or hear the Bible, it never makes us feel uncomfortable, or it never says stuff we don't like, if we find the Bible always agrees with us, we might not be listening very well to what it says. We could be so much better at listening to ourselves than to anyone else. It's hard to listen well. God says, come. Come, all who are thirsty. Come and listen to him. Will we listen? Uh, Towards the end of Isaiah, God says this. He says, these are the ones I look on with favour. These are the ones that my, my face shines grace upon. Those who are humble. Who recognize they can't work it out for themselves, they can't do it by themselves, they need help. And contrite, those who acknowledge their sins before the Lord, confessing their sin, seeking his forgiveness and his help to let go. These are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, we pray that you would that you would do just that for us, that you would make us to be those who are humble, who, who don't think we can sort it out by ourselves or, or we even know what's best, but we need help from above. Like the rain coming down from heaven, we need you to speak, otherwise we're not going to know. But would you make us those who are contrite, who can recognise our sin, who recognise me so easily, pick up big boxes that are just weighing us down, they don't bring us any good. Lord, Lord please would you help us to let go of all those things. May we be humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at your word, who realise, who recognise that your word is life-giving by the rain coming down from heaven bringing life. Your word does what you please, and what you please is good. So may we be those who trust you by listening well to all that you say, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is great power in the word of our God. So we're going to conclude our service.